men to carry his truth. What we want to see this morning is the plan of God fleshed out, lived out by the disciples who fled Jerusalem and went to Antioch and through the ministry of Barnabas and how the transformation of the church became something that was a blessing. A blessing not only to the people in Antioch, but to the people as far away as Jerusalem as well. So as we come to this 19th verse, what we find is this. The spread of the gospel came by God's mighty hand. Notice the scripture says this in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. What we find initially in this is that something that was, from a human perspective, terrible, precipitated God doing something amazing. And that was taking the church and scattering it so that the Word of God could go forth, so that people could hear the truth of God. You see, prior to Stephen's martyrdom, the church was more or less cloistered in Jerusalem. They were there enduring some difficult times, and yet there was this closeness, there wasn't a threat, so they hung together. They stayed right with one another. But something happened. After Stephen had faced such difficulty, after Stephen had been put to death, the church scattered. Many of us might look at that as a defeat. We might look at that and say, the church ran. But in reality, it was God taking this opportunity to spread the gospel, to move it from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and the remotest part of the world, just as Christ had told the disciples he would in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So what we have going on is this. Where the church had been in Jerusalem, they were now up in Antioch, which is right on the border of modern-day Syria and Turkey. So the gospel was spreading. All of them were engaged in doing the work of God. And what we find is this. Look at verse 2. He had, excuse me, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. While initially they went only to those who were like them, fellow Jews, what happened? God had worked in their lives. He had moved in them. And as a result, they were going to other places and they were speaking to non-Jews as well. So what we see is a change, a shift. Not only were they leaving Jerusalem and going to these other cities, but they were leaving exclusivity with sharing the gospel to Jews and they were now going to non-Jews and the word of God was going out because of the power of God. What many may have perceived as a defeat was actually a victory for the spread of the gospel by the power of God. And that's something that we need to grasp because when we look at where they went, it's startling. When we hear the name Antioch, 
It's a point on a map to us, right? We're not thinking about what was going on culturally. We're not thinking about some of the dynamics of how difficult it would be to carry out ministry in Antioch. But I'd like to share just a glimpse of what Antioch was and how important this ministry was and some of the parallels between Antioch and the world that we live in today. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Estimates had it at as many as 800,000 people. Now, by our standards today, that's a large city, maybe a moderate city, not a huge city, but in those days, anything approaching a million, enormous. But there was something else about Antioch. Antioch was very multicultural. There was a lot of ethnicity, a lot of different races and beliefs and understandings all kind of pressed together in this urban environment. And isn't that what we find a lot of times in an urban environment? Urban environments have a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different challenges. And this is where God was carrying the message of God's truth into this environment. Morally, Antioch was a challenging place for the church. You see, Antioch was about five miles from a center that worshipped many of the Greek and Roman gods. And part of that worship involved temple prostitutes. So many of the inhabitants of Antioch would have held to the Roman and Greek system of theology, worshipping many gods, and a big part of that would have been them going to temple prostitutes to engage in immoral behavior. So this is where God sends his church, from Jerusalem to Antioch, from a religious center to a place that is noted for being a place of immorality. As a matter of fact, people in the world then who weren't even followers of God considered Antioch immoral. It was a challenging place. But if ever there was a place that needed to hear the gospel, it was certainly Antioch. God had a purpose for putting the presence of the church into this kind of environment. And let me say this. God has a purpose for us being where we are. When we look at Antioch, we might say, wow, that's too challenging. I, I don't know if anybody will really respond to the gospel in Antioch. I mean, look at them. It's so immoral, so difficult, so decadent. Who's going to listen to the gospel there? We'll find our answer a little later in the text, but what we'll see is God sent the church right where the church needed to be because these people were ripe to hear the gospel. The gods that they worshipped, the immoral lifestyle that they had embraced. They had seen it demonstrated through their lives that these things provide nothing. They were empty. They were still in their sin. So the message of God's truth going into a place like this could find hearts that were ready to receive the truth that they could be freed from these things by the power of Jesus Christ. They needed to hear that message. God sent them where they needed to go. And let me challenge all of us, myself included. We are in a place that God has placed us. 
Like Antioch, we're in an urban environment. Like Antioch, there are a lot of different beliefs and ideas all around us. Like Antioch, there are immoral lives that are being lived. And rather than the church looking and saying, man, we saw what happened in Jerusalem where people were persecuted and we don't want that to happen here, so we're just going to kind of shrink back and hang with each other and not really do much in reaching out to everyone because, hey, if we don't reach out, we won't get persecuted. What did they do? Instead, they carried the gospel to those around them. And as a result, lives were changed. People who needed to hear the truth of the gospel heard it. Think about how they approached the moral decline of Antioch. Rather than trying to change it politically, rather than trying to put all of their energy into somehow reforming Antioch, they saw that the key to transformation came from God and that these people didn't need to be reformed. They needed to be born again. The ultimate transformation needed to take place in their lives. So that's what they invested their time and their energy in. And they were sharing with people around them. And I love the way the 20th verse puts this. They were telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Do we as believers recognize that the gospel is indeed the good news. We can become complacent, especially if we've been raised in the church. We aren't impressed by how good the good news is. These people who were under the thumb of religious systems where the gods were petty, where they had to appease them and placate them, where there was always this fear that they would anger the gods, needed to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news that they could be delivered from the bondage that they were in to sin and to their religious systems. They needed to be ready to hear. And so God sent the church to this place. And what we find as we go on in this text is that their success came because of the power of God. Look at the 21st verse of Acts chapter 11. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, I want us to think about the implications of this verse. First of all, the Scripture is sharing with us that the Lord's hand was with them. You know what I've seen as we've gone through Acts, and this leaps off the pages at me. Success comes from the hand of God. It's not because the Christians of this century were more articulate than us. It's not because they had better models or programs in place. They had none. You know what caused the church to succeed in the book of Acts? The hand of God. Their dependence on God. Their understanding that it is God who accomplishes these things. We are His instruments. We're His vessels. God works 
through us. And we need to grasp that and truly understand that it is God who makes the difference. We have the privilege of being used of God, but it is the hand of God that causes things to happen. And that's where we need to depend on the hand of God. We need to rest in the strength that He provides. I think this description, the hand of God, is such a beautiful description of God's strength. In the Old Testament, the hand of God meant the power of God, the provision of God. That's what God was providing for the early church, and that same God provides that same power for us today. Because He's the same God. And he has the same purpose. And we must depend on that purpose, on that plan. So look at what they did. They were going out, sharing the good news, verse 20. The hand of God was upon them. So as they were obedient to what God called them to do, God empowered them to do it still more. And the result? A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They were turning from their dependence on the gods that they had followed, from their polytheistic belief system that had them under this domination by these false gods, these idols. They were turning away from dependence on them, and they were turning to the only one who had the authority to save them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were counting on Him. Belief in Him was their salvation. And here's something we need to understand. It is not easy to believe. Every other system of approach to God out there, apart from Christianity, says you must do these things. And when you do enough of these things, God will accept you. Every system out there has that same model. What is amazing about grace is this. Believing that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. Believing that Jesus can deliver me to eternal life. And He alone can take me and transform me and change me. That is different than every other system out there. So when you share the good news of Jesus Christ and you share the power of a transformed life that He can bring and someone trusts that, entrusts their eternal destiny to it, then they turn from their old belief system to the Lord. And that's what was taking place. Even in a place like Antioch, people were changing. And so what happened? Here is God at work in Antioch. And people's lives are being changed. And news of this goes clear down to Jerusalem once again, just as it had with Cornelius. The word goes south again to Jerusalem. And here is the hub of Christianity in Jerusalem. And what do they do? They send someone to Antioch to help, to minister to the new church, to this fledgling group of believers. 
Look at verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then the 23rd verse goes on to say this. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What did God do? God sent Barnabas. Now, if you'll remember, Barnabas has been mentioned a couple of times in the book of Acts so far. We found him early on in the events of Acts chapter 5 as people were selling property right at the end of the fourth chapter in Acts. Barnabas sold property and gave it to the Lord in worship. So here is a selfless man a man who demonstrates great faith and ministry to others. And this is the man that God sent to the church at Antioch. We see him again in chapter 9 after the conversion of Saul. And as the church is wondering what's going on with this guy named Saul, if you remember, it was Barnabas who stepped up and said, hey, Saul has been changed by the power of God. Let's support him, not push him away. Remember, Barnabas's name means son of encouragement. And so here is Barnabas again, and he's being sent by the church at Jerusalem to Antioch. And look at what is described when he arrives in Antioch. Again, verse 23, when he arrived, now I love this, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. The grace of God produces evidence. When God has gotten hold of your life, when He is in the process of transforming you, that grace is evident. Barnabas immediately saw this when he went to Antioch. He saw the work of God. His grace had brought a difference into the lives of people. And you know, this is something that really needs to sink in with us. When a person believes... The grace of God changes them. We find this in Acts 2. Usually we just read verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And then this explanation after this statement of grace, the fact that God gives us salvation freely, something that we don't earn in and of ourselves. It is solely a gift of God not a result of anything that I can do or say or will do. It's God changing me. But then, verse 10, the evidence of this grace. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is grace, but there is the evidence of grace. God changes us by His grace. And that's what Barnabas saw. When he went there, he saw the work of God, and he encouraged. Again, remember his name? Son of encouragement. What else would Barnabas do, right? But look at what he says to the people. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's easy to lose perspective, isn't it? 
It's easy to initially go into our relationship with Christ, guns ablazing, and to fall into complacency. So what is Barnabas's challenge to the church? Remain true. I like the way other translations render this. It means to remain steadfast. The idea is to keep on keeping on with your commitment to the Lord. That's the idea. And that's something that all of us need to grasp and embrace. We are to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to remain true to that as his followers. And that's what Barnabas shared with the church. We also see something else about Barnabas. We see that He had a spirit dependence, and he had faith in God to bring people to the Lord. Look at what we find in verse 24. Still speaking of Barnabas, it says, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we initially see this statement, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit, we think, okay, he was a good man, a nice guy. That's not what's being discussed. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, what do we find? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the next one? Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What we find in Barnabas is someone who demonstrated the work of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he was trusting in the Holy Spirit. You see, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, what it means is our lives are controlled by the Spirit. We are yielding to the Spirit of God. We are following what He tells us to do. And a life that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit is a life of faith. What we find in Barnabas is somebody who evidenced both of these attributes. Dependence on the Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but walking in faith, that continued dependence. In order to walk in the Spirit, it takes a life of faith, a life of dependence on the Spirit of God. And this is what Barnabas did. And as a result of that kind of life, look at what happened. A great number of people were brought to the Lord where Barnabas came initially to minister to the church at Antioch, led by the Spirit of God, he was sharing with those outside the church, and I love the way this is put, a great number of people came to the Lord. What a beautiful statement this is. What a great truth we find in this. But then we go on. And what we find is this, as people's lives are being changed by the gospel, God provides further opportunities for their growth. And what we find in the early church, the evidence of the work of God in the church at Antioch was twofold. Number one, saints were being grounded in the word. Number two, saints were serving those outside the church. Let's look at these. First of all, verse 25. 
Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You know what we find first? We find that Barnabas recognized it was not just enough to win people into that relationship with the Lord. They had to be taught. They had to grow in that relationship with the Lord. And the key to seeing someone grow in their relationship with the Lord is teaching them. Paul said this in Colossians. and In fact, we have it written right over there on the wall. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That being rooted and built up in the faith, essential to seeing God work in your life and in the life of the church. But then, notice right at the end of this part of the passage, right at the end of the 26th verse, we see a statement. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know what the term Christian means? This is the first time it's used in history, according to the Scripture. And it's comprised of two words. Christ, which is the Greek counterpart to Messiah. In other words, those that were called Christians by probably the unbelievers there in Antioch were people who recognized the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that He is Messiah. And their lives so demonstrated their belief that when people saw them, they associated them with Christ. Now this could have been a pejorative for some people as they were looking at them and they were saying, oh, you little Christs. But I believe that it was more they were associating them with Christ Himself. Because that I-A-N ending on Christian, that word very simply means one associated with. So here are the followers of Christ, so living Christ, that even the world looks at them and associates them with Him. And you know, I find a challenge in this for me as a believer. We throw the term Christian around to mean almost anything now. It's lost its meaning. But when people see me in my life, do they associate me with Christ? If I share with someone that I'm a believer, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ, and they say, oh, really? I didn't know that. Then I've got a problem. My life should demonstrate who Christ is. We're called to do that. And here is this church in Antioch so patterning their lives after the truths and the teachings of Christ that they're called Christians there. We should live in that same way. 
But you know, they were not only being grounded in the word, they were serving the needs of others. And with this, we'll close. Look at verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. What we see here is God once again intervening. God sends one of his prophets to the church at Antioch, and he has him speak this word of truth that a famine is coming. And what did that do? That gave the church at Antioch an opportunity to prepare. But it wasn't a preparation that was just for them. It was a preparation that would be extended to other churches in need because of this famine. When we look historically, there were four famines that took place during the reign of Claudius. This particular famine that's being referenced here was one that was in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. And so here is God sending word to Antioch, prepare, because I have work for you to do for my church in Jerusalem. And you know that's exactly what they did. Look at verse 29. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Listen, their faith produced action. Their being discipled produced response to opportunity. When they saw that there was need in Jerusalem, they responded to the need that God made evident to them through this prophet. And then the Jerusalem church that had sent Barnabas to bless the church at Antioch was indeed blessed themselves by the believers in Antioch. And isn't that the amazing thing that we see God do? Sometimes we go and we reach out to something and we think, hey, nothing in return, but that's okay, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. But lo and behold, what do we find? that that person or that group that we've ministered to, that we think we'll never see a return on this in this side of heaven, they turn out to bless us and encourage us. That's not why we do it, but it just shows the grace and the goodness of God to allow us to enjoy that from time to time. And that's what the church at Jerusalem experienced. But more than that, we see this. There was unity growing in the church. The separation between Jew and Gentile that had been such a part of their lives for all of their lives was breaking down because by the power of God, there was unity developing in the church. And let me say this, unity comes by the power of God just as the gospel comes through the power of God. As we seek God, as we depend on the Spirit of God, we will see unity develop apart from dependence on God and drawing from the strength of His Spirit. Unity is impossible 
But what we find here is a developing unity because they listened to God, because they depended on what God had put into place and responded in obedience. So my encouragement to us as a church body, what we can take away from this passage of Scripture is quite simply this. Growth, goodness, strength, evangelism, anything that we do in service to God comes from God. What He calls us to do, He equips us to do. And we can count on that. Our responsibility, respond, depend, and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this text. And our prayer is that we would be faithful, faithful to live these things out. May we draw upon the strength that you provide, depending on you, Lord, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd like to ask the ushers to come forward and